Okay, so we're live. Totally. Did I get you in your earmark? You did. You did. You know, one day I'm gonna just like have to like like find a button to just like mute it for a second. Never. <laughs> and then see where we can go from there. <laughs> but uh, oh, how are well, you? If that's not a if that's not a wake up, then I don't know what else is. I am good. How are you doing? Fantabulous. All right. Well, and how are each and every single one of you doing? What's up, cousins? Uh, welcome to the Come Up series. This is a wonderful series that we like to call uh, Executive Education, and we put a lot of heart and thought process behind it. And this is, what, number week two of 52 weeks that we've got going on as it pertains to executive education material. So within this, like, think about it like this. You've got on Mondays, you got uh, Monday Night Take with Lawrence, and he's doing a phenomenal job with giving you a lot of the education when it comes to markets, trading, investing, and economics as well. Um, but then we felt like it was necessary to go a step above and beyond, which is, you know, let's get a little bit more collegiate up in this place. Let's get a little bit more scholarly. Let's raise the bar. And that's exactly what we chose to do. So here at the Come Up Series, we went on and said, okay, hey, if we could bring the MBA program along with the sprinkle of a few other things that the cousins could actually put forth in actual use and apply it towards their either daily uh, workflow or even add it to a workflow or create a workflow from it or even just, just gain the knowledge for a later period in time. That's why we did it. And if you didn't know, we're actually doing something pretty interesting also today. Not only are we streaming live on our typical YouTube channel, The Come Up Series, but shout out to our cousins that are also on LinkedIn because we are live today on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, we salute you. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button down below. And if you like the video, go ahead and like it if you think it's going to be cool, which <coughs> spoiler alert, it will be. Um, but then on top of that, if you want to be in the know, uh, go ahead and hit that notification bell. Who was first today, by the way? You know, do we know? Like, is there a... I want to say it was Brother... Oh, no, no. <laughs> I can catch it. It was Brandon. Mm. Hey, well, salute shout out to you, Brandon. Thank you for being first in the chat. And we just we thank you for just being a supporter here of the Come Up series. Now, of course, we got some news to share with each and every single one of you. Shall we, Jolyn? Should we do it? Should we yeah, do it? No? we should. Okay, so there's a reason why we're doing 52 episodes live here on the Come Up series. Because we've been doing a lot of content on a weekly basis, live after live after live after live. And the Come Up series is definitely expanding, like with the first iteration of having Lawrence on the show. But even before then, we had TiVo and AJ doing their thing on uh, Supplemental Sundays. But then we're also going to be bringing in a few other content creators to fill up some other spaces that will talk about some pretty dope things. And Jolene and I, we've, if you look at the content, we've produced over probably 200 episodes live. And then on top of that, we produced a ton of episodes that were pre-recorded. And so for us, this is going to be like our, like, just imagine going on this 52-week journey with us. This is kind of like our swan song for us doing our weekly lives. So we will not be doing weekly lives at the end after 2023. We will choose to do lives here and there if we so to choose and we feel like it brings forth value. But we feel like we've prepared a table big enough for many other great content creators to come to the stage. So buckle up because 
don't worry. We're going to definitely give you a lot of great content. And did I miss anything, Jolene? Did I miss anything? No, you hit the most important part is that it's a 52-week countdown, and this is week two of 52. And next year, it's going to be a whole new level of something else. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, without further ado, because we got to get into it. Yeah. I'm Mark Monroe, accompanied by my wonderful co-host, co-producer, co-creator, and all things galactic. Give it up for none other than the wonderful. It's Jalen GC in the place to be. Jalen quite leisurely, I might add. Okay. And without further ado, go ahead and cue that new intro. Right, so today we got some stuff to get into today because, look, we're going to keep it going. I hope that you guys had enjoyed last week's episode, which was digital leadership, which takes us into today's episode, which is financial reporting and business analysis 101. So if you know who we are, you know how we get down, you already have your pen and paper or pencil and paper ready or iPad and and Apple pencil ready or whatever device or whatever you're using to take notes. That are going to be very much so copious but you know if you don't go ahead we'll give you a few seconds while we load up the the presentation for y'all because we ain't stopping all right so let's go ahead and load that up on the screen shall we let's let's you know let's some some, some magic fairy dust here all right so we got executive education today is week two of this entire series and just so that way you guys know as an investor who completes a course or a program on finance or accounting, may be better equipped to understand and analyze financial statements, while an investor who participates in a program on business strategy may be able to make more informed decisions about which companies or industries to invest in. So additionally, executive education programs can provide investors with access to a network of other investors, executives, and thought leaders, which can help them stay up to date on the latest trends and developments in the investment industry. So these are very much so core when you think about it as it pertains to understanding uh, these types of executive level pieces of education. And this is the reason why we wanted to bring it to the table because we felt like there was nothing there that was widely accessible and democratized for everybody without you having to spend an arm and a leg. So, you know, that's exactly what we did. Now, somebody is probably asking somewhere, can we get certified on this? No, we are not accredited. But the beautiful thing about it is if you take notes and if you consistently study, then you can walk into some of these programs and be very much so ready to just knock it out. And sometimes they actually may allow you to test through it. So uh, there you have it. But all right, let's get into it, shall we? Shall we move forward? Yes. All right. So, Jolene, what we got on the today's agenda all right. So, you know, I like to have these notes organized, especially for this level of education. So um, in today's lesson, we will cover what defines financial reporting, the importance of financial reporting, the different types of reports, business analysis, tools and techniques, case studies. And then we'll go over some takeaways and conclusions. 
Um, and these seven topics should be the main heading of all your notes. So that way, you if you write down all of these topics right now, then your notes, in theory, should be organized. So just try and keep everything together because it's a lot of stuff. And then once you have these topics down after the show, you can do even more research and add to your notes, which you should be doing anyway. But Indeed, indeed. All right. So let's get into it, shall we? So for example, starting off first, what is financial reporting? All right. So just know that we will read some of this stuff on here because of the fact that there are people who will be listening to this via Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Shameless plug there. If you want to, if you're ever missing a come up series episode, fear not because we make these available via po- via podcast. There's no video, but there's audio. So that way, if you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, you can listen to our wonderful angelic black voices. All right. So what is financial reporting? It's the process of providing financial information about a company to external stakeholders. So when we think about financial reporting, right? So let's say, think about it like this, providing financial information in the sense of whether it's uh, balance sheet statements, cash flow statements, and all those things, which we'll get into, you know, these are the things in which that include creation and dissemination of financial statements, such as the income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow. So these things are very much so necessary because when we think about it from a business analyst analysis, uh, which is, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, but when you think about it, it allows you to help break down and look for strengths, weaknesses, Uh, within a company. And these things are widely used. So it's not just for publicly traded uh, investors or for publicly traded markets. We also look at these things when we think about like, for example, startups, whether you're raising series A to series D funding and even beyond, we look at, okay, hey, is there cash flow statements? Are they strong? Are their balance sheets strong? Uh, what What does their income look like? Are we looking at heavy duty operational expenses? So when you look at companies, like for example, in today's economy and what's happening in today, you see a lot of companies starting to cut back. Doesn't mean that they're not losing things on their income, but that means that they're getting more lean so that way they can increase their profit margins, which makes them a, a lot stronger or presented a lot stronger to investors. And it lets you know exactly how healthy a company is when they can actually do those things successfully. Yes. So. Financial reporting is the language of business. That is a quote from Warren Buffett. Um, This quote highlights the importance of financial reporting as a means of communication about a company's performance and financial position. Okay, so let's let's get into that a little bit. Right. So you just touched upon something, the importance of financial reporting. Mm -hmm. So it breaks it down into three things. It breaks it down into trust, which provides transparency and accountability to shareholders. And then two, it provides data. So for example, it allows the stakeholders to be to make informed decision about the company's performance. So if I have more data and if I can understand these things and based upon the transparency of what the company has given me, I can make a sound decision whether or not to invest or exactly where the, where the company is going. Um, and then on top of that, it's like it's it's very it also shows the healthiness of, say, for example, one company. So, and it also points us towards the third thing, which is vision. So it helps the company to identify areas of improvement. So remember when I talked about that healthy part? Now, if there are things that are not healthy about the company, it will show up in the financial reporting. So let's take a, let's just, let me just uh, give you a a simple example real quick. Um, So if we're looking at this presentation and if we're saying that, you know, many of you are probably getting ready to embark in what is during this quarter earnings season for a lot of publicly traded companies. 
Now in those, you're going to learn about things such as, let's say, you're going to learn about like, let's say how much debt a company is carrying. You're going to find those things out within financial reporting. So let's say a company has, let's say a company only has, let's say $3 billion in cash, but yet at the same token, they're burning through $4 billion of cash on a quarterly basis. Well, that's a lot of capital that's running through. So that's going to really make you, it's going to really make you ask the question as it pertains to how healthy is the company. So again, those are the things in which that you look at as it pertains to seeing, okay, hey, is the company healthy? Is the company struggling? So companies, why do we look at companies that report large amounts of debt, but yet at the same token, not enough revenue to essentially cover over a period of time as we look forward? Well, those things can actually be considered as red flags within financial reporting. So that's why we always look at the balance sheet. We always look at income statements, cash flow, all of those things just to see exactly what the health is. It's kind of like the like when we get the, the earnings report, that's the report card. But then when you take in all four quarters in totality, you get a great idea as it pertains to well-rounded perspective of what does the company actually look like, which leads us into some terms, Jolyn. Yes. Which is, let's look at some financial terms. So there's some terms here that are on the screen. I may not go through all of them, but you know, let's see how far we can go because I know that we're going to be I don't want to take us a little bit too further over. So I think you should go some basic all of them, Mark. Okay. All right. So let's th- let's look at it. So for example, when we look at GAAP, which is known as general accepted account accounting principles, it's pretty much a set of guidelines in which that print or, or principles that companies must follow when preparing uh, financial statements. Let me go ahead and blow it up on the screen fully. So that way everybody, you guys know what I look like. So that way you guys can read it all. All right. So For example, when a company is reporting revenue, right? So if you're reporting revenue, companies must follow the the gap or general accepted accounting principles on when to recognize revenue and how to present it in their financial statements. So which means that let's say, let's take a company like, I'll use it as an example. Let's take Tesla, right? So Tesla, let's say Tesla, like they definitely take in revenue as it pertains for every car that's sold and also for, let's say, if they have deposits for companies or for companies that are wanting to buy their energy storage. But then let's look at that other thing, like for example, their full self-driving technology. Now, until that becomes acceptable or until it's actually made available, then that's something that they can report, but it's not something that is actually going to be counted fully on the balance sheet for the company. Why? Because of the fact is it's just, com- it's just cash that's sitting on the sideline waiting to actually be accepted. So then let's look at something else. Uh, on the sheet here, we also have something called earnings per share. Now, working capital is something in which that is very simple, very basic. It's pretty much this is exactly what you have that's on. We look at it on the same line as, as if it's like cash on hand. This is what we have to work with. If we don't have it, then at the end of the day, you know, it's either you have it or you don't. If you don't have working capital, then nine times out of 10, you're going to either go raise it, you're going to go borrow it. If you, if you essentially run out of working capital, you're either going to have to go raise it or borrow it. Uh, that's kind of like when we consider the cash on hand. All right. But then there's this other topic where we talk about earnings per share, a financial ratio, which also known as EPS, that shows how much profit a company generates for each share of its stock. So, for example, if a company's EPS or earnings per share is $3, so let's just take $3, shall we? It means that the company that for every share of the company stock, so you tend to see this as it pertains to the amount of shares that a company holds that's publicly traded, 
Um, it means that for every share of the company stock, the company earned three dollars in profit for every share. So, for example, when we see negative EPSs, <laughs> if you see a negative three dollars or a negative three dollar EPS, that means you guessed it. A company is losing three bucks a share for or is losing about three dollars for every, you know, for every share, which means that they're negative as a percent. They're not profitable. Um, and many times, here's another thing that we look at. A lot of times companies will report what their full year EPS is. And then, as you see, as the quarters go by, they do a breakdown on a quarter over quarter basis. Also looking at some seasonality as it pertains to when their their best quarter is going to be. All right. So then let's look at this other thing as since we're talking about earnings per share and profits, let's look at return on assets. So it's pretty much a fin another financial ratio that measures how efficiently a company is using its assets to generate profits. For example, if you have an ROI of 15 percent, that means for every dollar of assets the company has, it earns 15 cents in profit. I think that's pretty I think that's kind of self-explanatory, shall we? Now let's go to the other return, okay? So let's look at return on equity. So that's another financial ratio that measures how efficiently a company is using shareholders' equity to generate profits. For example, if a company's RO, uh, return on equity is 20%, that means for every dollar of the shareholders' equity, the company earns 20 cents in profit. Okay, so then let's talk about this other thing. Like if, if you notice, you know, we're getting a lot of ratios in here. We're getting a lot of ratios on this. So for example, net profit margin, a financial ratio that shows percentage of revenue that a company retains as profit. So for example, a net profit margin of 5% means that the company keeps five, five cents of every dollar it earns as profit. So when you go through and look at a lot of the companies and when we look at like strong companies, Look at it, exactly how strong their net profit margins are, their return on equity is, their return on assets. And then, of course, when you look at their EPS. So, for example, when they came through at, let's say, a dollar and 22 cents on the EPS, and that lets you know that for every share, they brought in a dollar and 22 cents on for every share as it pertains to profit. So those are some interesting things to look at. Now, let's let's go on to the debt to equity ratio. Because again, these are a lot of things that are ratios, but we look at it in perspective. So it compares a company's debt to its equity. For example, a debt to equity ratio of one means that the company has uh, much debt as it has equity. So it's pretty much like a one-to-one -one conversion. So if we saw, let's say, a debt to equity ratio of, let's say, uh, a two, so a two to one. So that means that their debt is higher than say, for example, the equity's value. So if you find yourself in a two to one, then that probably means, what does that tell us? It probably is telling us that probably that this company is not as healthy as we once thought it was. Now, if it's a one to two, so meaning debt to equity, then that means that the equity is stronger than the debt and ultimately that the company is pretty healthy. Again, go back and look at some of the companies as it pertains to the debt to equity ratio now that we talked about it. Now, of course, we could talk about things like gross margin also in here, which is another ratio that shows percentage of revenue that a company retains after deducting the costs. So, you know, when we think about this, and I mentioned this earlier in today's presentation. So if you look at it from a standpoint of let's take Meta, for example, right, because Meta was spending billions of dollars towards its metaverse. Now, what did investors want Meta to do? 
uh, as the quarters move on. They wanted them to cut their operational expenses. So if you cut your operational expenses, but yet you're still bringing in, you're still driving in strong or decent revenue, but yet you cut back on your operating expenses, what happens to the margins? If you know what happens to the margins, go ahead and throw that in the chat for us. So that way we know. Does your margins go, do, you, do your margins go up or do they go down? I think they're trying to catch up. <laughs> I know. I, I think I should probably slow down just a little bit. Yeah, we, I mean, we have time. Uh, someone says increase of profit. Someone said up. There you go. So now, right. I, I also keep in mind that there's also this delay with the uh, with like, you know, <laughs> with YouTube or where we're at. So, yeah. So for all of you that are answering, yes, when you cut exp operational expenses, but yet your revenues are still coming in just in, just strong, then pretty much your gross your gross margin is going to go up. Now, when we take into consideration all of these things, we start to look at things like book value. Right. So if we're looking at book value, right, then we take in all these things and then now we're looking at it as it pertains to exactly, all right, we take in debt, we take in exactly revenue. And then it's like we put that all together and we actually find out exactly truly what is the company actually worth. Okay, so to I noticed that we're slightly lagging behind. So let's get into this other thing, like the types of financial reports, because these are things in which that you guys have probably heard me say multiple times in this conversation. So income statement, we've talked about and, and we're going to talk about balance sheet and we're going to talk about cash flow statement. So what is an income statement? An income statement shows revenue and expenses over a specific period of time. So many times you guys see this either on a quarterly or on a yearly. And in some cases, you can see it on a three year basis. Now, when we look at balance sheets, a snapshot of the company's financial position at a specific point in time, it pretty much just tells you exactly like, OK, hey, what's happening with the company based upon all things that are literally transpiring. Now, here's the interesting thing about a balance sheet. When you look at things on a balance sheet, the statement in order for it to in order for things to flow, all statements must balance. So and that's something when we look at it as it pertains to assets and liabilities over a period of time they should balance out. So if the statement balances, then you have, a, you have a balance sheet that is correct. If the statement is not balanced, then obviously there must be some type of issue. All right, so then let's look at cash flow statement. The movement of cash in and out of a company. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like what really defines any type of company, whether or not you're publicly traded or say, for example, you're a privately owned or a startup or mid-sized business, cash flow. Cash flow literally is what's going to determine everything. So without cash flow, you're dead. I think that we can <laughs> I think that we can all I think we can all agree to that. So let's get into it in a little bit, right? So when we think about this, so this so when we think about income statements, this allows shareholders to see how much money a company is making or losing. That's the like let's let's just keep it simple for everybody. So that just lets I mean that's just the simplicity. So when we look at say for example a balance sheet though, when we think about that snapshot, right, it's looking at things like cash investments, property. Uh, also, it's also looking at things like liabilities, a.k.a. your debts, and also equity, a.k.a. the shareholders investment. So what is it that the shareholders invested? Ultimately, you know, pretty much that's that's the equity part. Now, when we look at cash flow, this allows stakeholders to see how the company is generating and using the cash. So those are things that you can really see into like like you get to really see those things really play out so somebody says which one of these will the payroll fall into so you'll probably see these things probably flow into things like for example balance sheet 
cash flow. And then on top of that, depending on if you have payroll expenses, you could probably see that also fall into, say, for example, your income statement for sure. All right. So let's go into the next subject, shall we? Which is now that we did all this financial reporting stuff, let's talk about business analysis, because, you know, you know, if, especially when you think about it in the sense of startups, you know, this is widely looked at, you know, just to see exactly like because, you know, for companies that may not have strong financials, we look at the other side of it, which is the other side of the coin, which tells us exactly how to analyze a business. And that's what we're going to do today. So simple definition, the discipline of identifying business needs and determining solutions to business problems. So remember how whenever you listen to a startup pitch or if you ever see a startup pitch deck, it always tells you the problem. And then it always tells you the solution that they're providing that they're solving. That really comes from business analysis. So solutions often include a system of development, uh, a systems development component but may also consist of process improvement, organizational change. And you guys remember that conversation about organizational change because we talked about that back in the last episode where we were talking about digital leadership or strategic planning and policy development. So when we think about it, right, if we look at like this in a nutshell, this can include analyzing the current state of the business, identifying areas for improvement and developing implementation of solutions to address these issues, um, but then when we think about business analysis, it can be used in a variety of different contexts, including systems development, like I said earlier, uh, process improvement and all those other great things. Jolene, what else can business analysis be looked at as it pertains to, you know, how, how investors or individuals should look at companies? Well, we want to pay attention to business analysis because a company that exercises good business analysis uh, discipline those are the companies that will constantly find ways to improve their bottom line. So that makes the company more profitable. That would include better vertically integrated companies. So you want to think like, you know, acquisitions. The more you know your business ins and outs, you can um, look at ways to um, expand. And then also it's good for um, companies to have discipline in their business analysis because then they'll always be positioned to pivot when necessary, a.k.a. 2020 pandemic. Think about all those companies that um, they pretty much showed their hand. The ones that were strong and surviving, they had a practice of good business analysis. Yes. And it's kind of interesting because we talked about digital leadership last week, which really that's a major part. If you did great business analysis, then you already had those things as it pertains to what are the strategies that you must operate on or what are some of the changes that you're going to have to make in order to essentially be ever flowing to meet the needs of the economics. So pretty much in short, does the, if the economics support the business, are you ready? Good business analysis will tell you and it will also show you that. So let's look at a quote here. So when we think about business analysis, um, pretty much it's you know the bridge between the business needs and the solution that delivers value. So the reason why that this is important is because it emphasizes the role of business analysis in identifying and addressing businesses uh, or their problems and developing solutions that bring value to the company. So again, you're gonna hear this consistent uh, phrase that's consistently going, is value. So somebody asks, uh, does this include R&D or do they not correlate exactly? Actually, no. R&D definitely plays a major part into business analysis because again, like what Jolene said, you're looking for that next vertical integration. So I guess I'll go back to, to Meta, which is probably one of the companies that like literally is one of those things that shine so bright when we think about business analysis is because of the fact that, you know, 
if you look at it, a company like Meta already has a couple of levers that they've already pulled. So they already have Instagram, they already have WhatsApp, and then of course they have Facebook's core platform, aside from some of the other things that they've got going on. Now, if they're investing in another part of the business that is completely like separate from the entire core, that is considered their R&D. So the metaverse would be considered their R&D, which is they believe is their next biggest vertical. Now, the market will define whether or not exactly one, how big it is, and then on top of that, how spot on they were and all those other things. But that's a major part that they're spending. But then they get to a certain point where it's like they've spent a lot. And then essentially you start to see that, okay, hey, is it really truly coming to fruition? That business analysis will tell you that. So let's let's get a little bit further. But like like I said, where you tie in that financial reporting, which is it lets you know that, okay, hey, we need to decrease our spending, which Meta did. And now essentially we should start seeing what are the effects from that business analysis and R&D that we did from the financial reporting of cutting back, what do our gross margins look like? And then on top of that is the R&D that you spent money on is it literally starting to take shape, form and fashion into the marketplace. And what does that look like as it pertains to opening up new markets as it pertains to market value? Okay, so when we think about business analysis, it breaks it down to three things. So it helps companies identify, strategize, and develop. So let's go through those. So when we think about identify, you identify and prioritize business goals and objectives by analyzing the current state of the business or company and understanding its strengths and weaknesses. Companies can identify the most important areas to focus on. So this is the major part because without, without this, it's like pretty much you're just guessing. So when you have the data, now you get to see exactly like, okay, hey, what are we, what are we, what do we truly have here? Then after you've identified, the next thing that you do is strategize. So you identify and address business problems and opportunities. Remember that? You see a problem. Now you've identified. Many times if you're a great company, you identify a problem, but then you also see those problems as opportunities. It's kind of like an optimistic way of thinking about it, but it's also in the sense that you've done your homework. So now you, that you have a reason to feel optimistic. Through business analysis, companies can identify areas where they are, where they are underperforming and where there are opportunities for growth. So, you know, it's like in most cases, like the best way to think about it is look at the company GE. We talked about them last week. Now, remember, if we're looking at it from a business analysis, you know, mindset now, think about it. With GE, they had a lot of things within their portfolio. But just because they had a lot of things, a lot of those things weren't working. A lot of them were underperforming. So what did GE do? They made the necessary decision to sell off a lot of those assets. And after they sold off a lot of those assets, the company became leaner. And because of the fact that they became leaner, they were able to be more focused. And from them becoming more focused, they could better strategize, which, led, which leads us into the next thing, develop. Develop and implement solutions to improve business performance. By developing and implementing solutions based on the findings, of business analysis, companies can improve their operations and achieve greater success. Now we see this fabric, if you look at these things, whether it's identify, strategize and develop, we see these things happen across many of the great companies that we literally look at as heroic every single time. You cannot tell me that there's not one single company that does not have this type of, that does not have this type of structure built within their DNA. They're good at identity. Like any great company, you will find that they are great at identifying, they're great at strategizing, and of course, they're great at developing, which is AKA executing. Okay, so 
we got some terms for y'all. You know, we, we you know we're gonna come forth with some terms. Get some flashcards. Right. <laughs> so some of these you may know of, some of them you may not. Now I may not get into all of them, but I will do my best to get into as many of these as I can. All right. So let's look at the first thing, which is business process reengineering or BPR. So it's a methodology used to improve businesses or a business's process by analyzing and redesigning them from the ground up. For example. So let's take a company. A company might use BPR to redesign its accounting process in order to reduce errors and efficiency or and just improve efficiency altogether. So they may just do that. And that way, when you do that, then you find out exactly how much money you're, you're spending and that money could be ultimately lo be lost. And then ultimately you rectify those issues and that's money that's ultimately not lost and ultimately improves your bottom line. Okay, so then we talk about gap analysis, right? So gap analysis is a technique used to identify the differences between a company's current state and its desired state and to develop strategies for closing those gaps. So for example, a company might use gap analysis to identify differences between its current customer service processes, right? And the best practices of other companies and to develop strategies for improving its own process. So let's say, for example, let's take, let's look at the automobile industry, right? So I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if I start seeing a lot of other companies within the next three to five years start moving towards GigaPress. I wouldn't be surprised because they see exactly how cost of effect, how cost effective it is for a company like Tesla, where they can easily just consistently just keep printing and printing and printing and printing. Uh, structure, the, the overall body structure of a car, which cuts down on significant, significant amounts of time. All right. So with that, you're going to probably see, see that that's going to become a standardized norm across a lot of auto manufacturing companies. We've seen this happen across uh, aerospace. You've seen it happen in between uh, also software companies where some of them, they start seeing, okay, hey, this company goes agile. Well, we see that agile works for them. And it's kind of like we're kind of in the same space and it kind of works for us based upon where we are. All right. So then we get to one of my favorites, which is business model canvas. And this is one of the ones that a lot of folks overlook because a lot of times what everybody wants to look at is SWOT analysis, KPI, key performance indicators, and and many times Lean Six Sigma. Those are the things that a lot of times people look at. But a lot of times people do not look at BMC, which is actually one of my favorite uh, indicators or one of my favorite terms to look at. So BMC is a tool that helps uh, that helps to map a company's value proposition, their customer segments, their channels, their customer relations, their revenue streams, resource activities, partners, and costs. You can do all of that just from business model canvas. Imagine that. So partners, and, uh, so let's just take it for a simple example, right? So a company might use BMC to map out its own business model and identify opportunities for improving its revenue streams or customer relations. What you can also do is look at, it, it can also show you what you do well, and then you can also look at it as it pertains to comparing that towards, let's say a SWOT analysis, as it pertains to strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats which I'll get into in a second. So then we have this other thing called business intelligence. So business intelligence is the use of data and technology to gain insights and make informed decisions about business. For example, a company might use business intelligence tools to analyze sales data and identify trends that can inform its marketing strategy. Now, what do we see? Who, who do we see that uses a lot of this business intelligence? I'll give you an example. Some of the companies that definitely use this is look at Microsoft and look at Amazon. A lot of your cloud-based companies have definitely used it. So they're using business intelligence in the form of AI. Yep, 
Louis actually got it right, which, which is AI learning. Because what they do is they use, they use AI to literally examine the behavior of its, of its customer base and look at the areas in which that some areas may be deficient towards this business and where other areas can be turned into opportunities. And they use the AI to literally examine the data, kind of like a digital twin, but we'll get to that later on. Um, but they can use that data to literally turn it into, okay, hey, we need to be providing these services within our within our services that we already provide. And it only just enriches the, it only just enriches the process. For example, when we look at why Amazon has become so dominant is because if you look at most of the other cloud service providers, what they did was instead of giving you piece by piece by piece, what Amazon AWS did was they give you everything a la carte. So everything when you sign up for their AWS services is pretty much right there and available to you right at your fingertips right when you start. Now, of course, when we look at other things like let's say, for example, your SWOT analysis where I said it's your strengths, weaknesses and threats. When we look at value chain analysis that focuses a lot towards manufacturing and creating of products, uh, when we look at key performance indicators, like, for example, what are some of the things that your company needs to hit as it pertains to letting us know that you're on your route, on your road towards success? Those are simple things in which that we look at that pick up along the way. So, again, the reason why I have these terms here is some of them I'm not going to be able to define for you as it pertains to the time frame because we still got a few slides to get through still. But these are slides that I want you to look at and then come back and look at those definitions and you'll be prepared for your homework when you've done it. So let's get into some tools and techniques, shall we? Yeah, hey, Dylan, so, you know, but you know about this, right? I love this part. <laughs> so um, for tools and techniques, as you can see, there are many, many, many tools and techniques that companies and businesses and analysts can use to analyze a company, identify areas for improvement. As we as we discussed, Amazon's a really great um, example for that. So we talked a little bit about SWOT analysis, right? So this tool is what helps companies to identify their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So for example, a company might identify its strong brand recognition as a strength, AKA Apple, but its limited product line as a weakness. There's another tool, Pestle, um, and this tool looks at the political, economic, social, technological, environmental, and legal factors that can impact a business. So a good example of this, thinking of it, would be like a company might consider how changes in government regulations or advances in technology could affect its operations. So we talked a lot about this last year. There was a lot of economic data. I feel like last year was the year of, you know, economics um, and mm -hmm. how it impacts the market and how things move. So if you want more in-depth um, analysis or in actual examples, which would now, I guess, be history <laughs> from last year, definitely check out all of the videos from last year. And then, Mark, you touched briefly on the value chain analysis. And this tool breaks down a company's activities into different stages from raw materials to final product and helps to identify where value is added. By analyzing the value chain, companies can identify areas where they can increase efficiency or add value to their products or services. This is key, again, for that vertical integration, um, possible acquisitions, things of that nature, because the more you understand your business, and this is if you are a business owner or you're in a startup, the more you understand those things intimately, you will be able to add value. You will be the one that is a pie maker and not just a pie taker. 
Mm. And also when you're looking at it from the perspective, um, from an investor standpoint, the more value you can identify of a business, you can tell if that business is going to succeed, if they're resting on their loyals, you know, if they're complacent, you don't want companies like that. You want those companies that, you know, have a substantial uh, research and development department because you know they where their values are. You know that they are aligned with innovation. And we all know what innovation can do um, when it comes to making money, when it comes to a yep. company being profitable, when it comes to impact, when it comes to changing the world. Those are the companies that you want to um, no. And those are the companies that are worth your investments. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting. The most recent news item that we can look at uh, today mm-hmm. is, you know, we're hearing about this thing of open AI and chat GPT and all these things in which that look at how it's actually having a strong effect on a company like Google, which has always been known for its artificial intelligence and its research. And now there's rumors about Google struggling to literally keep up with open AI. Well, I mean, but look at what happened in the news also where we heard about Microsoft making a $10 billion investment into OpenAI and saying, okay, hey, well, we see this as an opportunity. Why do they see this as an opportunity? Because, you know, if you're only looking at it from the standpoint of them trying to resurrect Bing, then you you missed the point. They're using this in the sense of learning more about their consumers, not only just on a regular retail standpoint, but Microsoft's core customers are always enterprise. Enterprise is literally what keeps the door open. So when we look at financial reporting, go and look at the differentiation as it pertains to income and revenue that comes through from Microsoft on an enterprise level versus the the standard consumer side level. You will see things. And here's the funny thing. If you ever really ask the question of who is really the customer for any company, Look at where they spend the most of their money and look at also where also the revenue comes from based upon them spending that money. It literally tells you a clear picture of the company. All right. So with that said, let's, you know, let's look at some case studies, shall we? (laughs) Because, you know, what's, what's a, what's a, what's a lecture without any, without some real world uh, information. So, Let's take Apple because we talked about them a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to give you both the financial reporting side as it pertains to the financial reporting analysis. And then we're going to give you the business analysis also. So when we look at Apple's financial reports, it shows consistent, consistent growth in revenue and profits with a strong balance sheet. The one thing that you can never count against Apple is their balance sheet, like forever (laughs) strong would be if, if it was if forever strong was a person, it would definitely be Apple. All right, but then when we look at it on the business analysis of Apple shows that their focus on design and branding has contributed to their success. So, you know, Tim Cook always says, and he's a former CFO, which is kind of interesting because you don't really see former CFOs come in and rock the stage and like literally keep the company completely alive as a CEO. But lo and behold, Steve Jobs actually said, if it wasn't for Tim Cook being there, then Apple wouldn't be Apple. So, you know, now it's like you're seeing Apple with that sustainment because of Tim Cook's leadership and which he kind of says something that always will forever stick out to me, which when we look at it from a, a business analysis standpoint, which literally feeds into their financial reporting. Apple always says that we don't have to always be the first. Our, our duty is we don't care about being the first. What we care about is we make the, we make products that you never thought that you could live without. So by the time when they create a product, by the time when it comes to market that they create, they know that it's something in which that their consumer base or that the consumers ultimately want. 
and that essentially that they've taken the time to literally understand the nuances. What is it that they, what is it the consumer likes? What is it the consumer doesn't like? Refine those things and then make it available. You know, though that you know it could take a little bit of time, but you know. So when we think about Apple, right? Apple is a technology company known for its high quality products and strong brand. We all know this, and financial reports show consistent growth in revenue and profits. We know this also. But Apple is also known for its sleek, innovative products and strong marketing campaigns. Nobody does marketing campaigns like Apple. Like if you looked at, like if you were to look at a product commercial and if you compared them across the others, you would know Apple versus the rest. Apple would be able to stand out because of its branding and how it does its marketing campaigns to let you know that this is a premier product that ultimately, again, that you never thought that you could live your life without, which has helped the company to differentiate itself from its competitors. Now, when we look at that, look at the time back when the iPhone came out and how many devices came out during that whole proliferation phase of different phones that were supposed to be the phone that took down the iPhone. Did any of them ever take down the iPhone? No. Okay. And the reason why that they never took down iPhone was because of the fact that they were focused more so on the product, the gimmicks, the, the new, the next features. Like Samsung was known for consistently pushing new features. Now it's not a bad thing because it literally consistently moves the needle. Like for example, making a larger screen and then next, you know, Apple joins in the party. But the thing is, is that it's that premium and everything else that Apple has kind of like branded itself towards that literally insulates itself well within its ecosystem. Okay. So some, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you mentioned um, products you can't live without, but Amazon is a service I personally cannot live without. I cannot imagine. (laughs) Tis true. Tis true. Uh, it's unfortunate that our graphic isn't loading up, but this is the next one is Amazon. You want to take this one, Jolyn? Yeah. You know, I love Amazon. So you all know Amazon <laughs> is a leading, I have to say a leading uh, commerce company because there are some other ones that have joined the party. But Amazon has a pretty strong track record of growth and revenue and profits. Mm-hmm. Their business analysis reveals that the company's focus on customer experience and innovation has contributed to its success. We talked a little bit about this earlier um, with the focus on um, Amazon's internal data, right, yep. when it comes to customer satisfaction and all of that. So they mm-hmm. listen. That is a key distinction for Apple. I mean, excuse me, for Amazon. They listened. But um, a good example of them listening is their Amazon Prime uh, program which you all know it offers uh, free two-day shipping and other perks to those who actually sign up for it. And it's helped the company to retain and attract customers. They've also invested heavily in technology, you know, just like uh, artificial intelligence. You all know Alexa, the uh, powered, um, the AI powered voice assistant. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. helped the company to expand its reach and offerings. Now, what's really cool about this type of technology and the things that they have invested in, Mark, is that it creates its own ecosystem, much like Apple. And I feel like we notice a trend with these types of companies that have strong business analysis um, and also financial reporting when they have those two. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like they tend to create their own um, ecosystems. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that you kind of mentioned creates their own ecosystem because take a wild guess, y'all, which company I'm about to talk about next. <laughs> I mean, do y'all really know what company we about to talk about next <laughs> as a case study? Well, if you guess this company, 
then yes, you guessed it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's take a look at Tesla. As we know that Tesla is a leading vehicle manufacturer with rapid growth in revenue, right? I mean, come on. They went from literally almost bankrupt to now like completely like, okay, you see this? This is dust. (laughs) All right, so, but the company is not yet... you know, it's not fully consistently profitable like some of those other companies are. Now, of course, that has significantly started to change. I mean, we started to see Tesla just consistently like beating benchmark after benchmark after, after benchmark. But again, it's like, you know, what investors are like, OK, hey, well, you know, this which drives the argument is, is it just a car company? Now, when we look at the business analysis of Tesla, it reveals that the company's focus on innovation and sustainability has contributed to its success, uh, towards its success. So, you know, but, you know, keep this in mind, y'all. Tesla has faced challenges in scaling production and managing costs. I mean, we've seen it with Model 3. We've seen it with Roadster. We've seen it even with Cybertruck. And it kind of like feeds into like that whole thing as it pertains to deadlines. And honestly, you saw it also in 2022 when it comes to managing costs, which you saw that price fluctuation in which that we saw that, okay, hey, price went up and then price went down. Uh, We saw all those things, which had an impact to its profitability. So to address these challenges, Tesla implemented the cost-cutting measure and is working to improve its supply chain and manufacturing processes. So those things are huge because, again, as we get more so towards a place of scale, which if you've li- ever listened to Elon Musk conversations, those are the one that's the number one thing that he consistently talks about reaching a place of scale where it's like, OK, hey, we've done it. Like, what is it? What does scale look like? If you ever get, go back and look at like what happened during the Model 3 phase, the Model 3 phase was very much so one of the toughest points in, te- in Tesla's history. Why? Because you went from like making a vehicle that every now and then, of course, that everybody was like, okay, hey, it's mesmerizing and everything else. But now we're getting into this place where massive mass manufacturing. And when you look at it, you know, they were going through a process in which that the production itself, just to get to a place of production and getting to a place of scale, like that's that part where a lot of companies tend to struggle, where it's like that can mean. When you look at the cash flow statements on the financial reporting, they're burning through the most amount of cash. So it's not the fact of coming up with an idea in R&D, but it's the idea of taking something from R&D and placing and getting it to a place of scale. Those are always the challenges and the nuances that investors always look at when it comes to, okay, is this going to work? If it doesn't work, then you tend to see that again, that it's a major challenge, but if it, and not only just a challenge, it can also make or break a company. So again, we saw that they got over those issues, but now they're getting ready to face that again with Tesla Semi on an enterprise level. And then on top of that, here comes Cybertruck, which has over a million, you know, orders. But again, what we talked about earlier, they literally refine their process as it pertains to within your, their manufacturing and being able to cut the cost with Gigapress which means that they can do something in a unibody model, which therein refines the process and gets them to a place of scale. And that's the part where it's like when we think about as investors or as anybody, and if you're taking notes as it pertains to you being a startup, or if you're an entrepreneur looking to start up a company, those are the things that you look at. When you first start your company, it's going to be kind of like you go through your R&D process. And then once you finish the product, now you got to push it into market. And then, of course, you got to do those other things, which literally get you from MVP, minimal viable, pro- minimal viable product, all the way up to the next phase, which is considered, OK, your growth phase. And many companies struggle during reaching those different phases, whether it's from MVP to growth and then also from growth to scale. 
those are some of the toughest challenges that, like I said, it makes or break a company. And many times that's why you see a lot of companies take sometimes the easier road, which is like, okay, hey, we could just sell this company to a larger company that already has the process refined and we can join in and essentially they could just literally adapt whatever our process is or whatever our technology is into their business process. So just keep that in mind. Mark, slow clap, yes. slow clap. Like we're, <laughs> we're doing great on the time, but I mean, just as we, you know, making sure people's notes are, are crispy, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we talked earlier, we went over financial reporting and business yep. analysis. And just for the, the takeaways here, financial reporting is an essential tool, y'all, for providing transparent and accurate information about a company's performance and financial position to those stakeholders. Um, business analysis helps companies to identify and address business problems and opportunities and to develop and implement solutions to pr- improve performance. Both financial reporting and business analysis are critical for companies to understand and improve their operations. So if you have those key things in your notes, you're you're golden. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, uh, JoLynn, because, you know, a lot of folks are saying, well, yeah, you could have great financials, but then at the same token, the business analysis, you know, may be a little bit shaky. You know, they both have to work in tandem together. You know, neither one of them can be caught lacking at all. Like both of them have to keep their head on the swivel and consistently keep refining in their process. You know, because, again, it's not to have weak business analysis, but then to have strong financial reporting. That's great, but that's only going to get you so far. Just like I have a great business analysis and everything else that I'm executing, but there's no finances that are really supporting that business analysis and really how strong is the company? You know, so again, you know, that's like I said, you know, VCs and publicly traded investors, they're not that different. The only difference is, is that the company that's public has already done enough in its process to prove that essentially that, okay, hey, we've done enough to belong on the publicly traded markets and we that we're a little bit more of a sure thing. Whereas as startups, it's nothing is set in stone, you know, nothing is set in stone and essentially that they're at the place of trying to validate that idea. And, but the thing is, is that those rules and everything else that we put forth, there's nothing different that really separates the two as it pertains to looking at publicly traded companies, startups, we look at them exactly the same. So if you can look at a company and literally do a breakdown of their financial reporting. And then on top of that, you can look at their business analysis and see that both of them are sound. Then nine times out of 10, they're a solid company. And again, you can do it from for another market. And here's the interesting part. You can also make this multifaceted where you can look at, say, for example, apply it to life. You can apply business analysis and financial reporting to, say, for example, your own personal finances and also your career. So you look at those two things and mesh them. So, okay, hey, business analysis, this is what I'm doing in my career, but this is what the finances look like. Does, you know, does it balance? If it doesn't balance, then hmm. you can also look at the same thing as it pertains to your information diet, as it pertains to the type of information that you're bringing in. So I'm hearing a lot of great information, but yet at the same token, does that math make sense as it pertains to within that reporting? Same rules apply when it comes to also using this type of mentality as it pertains to, you know, friendships and personal relationships. You know, these things like when we think about it, like a lot of times people like to look at business as, say, for example, just, you know, okay, what we see as counting the ones and zeros when we're looking at a company that has a federal filing or whatever it is. No, no, no. When I look at business, I look at business as ultimately the universal transaction of all things. All Mm -hmm. things are some form of a business transaction. 
they all deal on some level of a business transaction. And if you can really start to think about and master those things and put that into perspective, then again, you'll start to find that it's not only just a balance within just your career or within a company or within your portfolio, you start to balance all of those things, which leads us into- Oh, yes. Wait, I just realized something. Like, yes. uh, <laughs> when you're talking about different applications, I applied this same method um, of thinking to meetings. So if a meeting is going to have a financial component as well as something on the business analyst side, um, like I think about like, okay, how is this going to further things? And are we talking money? Because if we're not talking money, this could be an email. Or if it's only the business side, it can be an email. But when we can combine both, then it's an actual meeting. Like that literally frees up your time and your energy and your mood. Well, it's pretty interesting because you don't even, they don't even have to talk about money, but then it's like, if you understand value of time mm -hmm. and if you understand value of time based upon exactly, if I'm dropping in, like if this meeting could have been solved within 30 minutes and then the other 30 minutes, I could have been working towards a strategy to implement and then literally putting it into action versus spending an hour or five hours into a meeting where I'm dealing with all this process. Then again, it's like, you know, again, then that would make the financial reporting side not very strong. And mm -hmm. then the business analysis, it also can point towards areas in which that the business analysis itself is quite weak. Again, it's like it's pretty universal when you look at these things across the board. So which draws us to include to our conclusion. So financial reporting and business analysis are essential tools. I think that we all understand this now. I think that we beat the dead horse, and, you know, till, you know, till oblivion. <laughs> All right. So but by using these tools, companies can achieve greater success and growth in the long term. And that's ultimately the main objective. Like, you know, growth over the long term is kind of like scale. Like when you think about scale, you're not just thinking about scaling something in the short term. When you think about scale, you think about like that transition of literally consistent growth over a strong period of time. And that's pretty much strong and sustainable. That's what we look for. Whether you're an investor, whether you're a startup, whether you're a person within your career, these are the things to which that you look at. So again, if you're a person that's looking to, like if you work at a current place, but then at the same token, you feel like you're stagnant within your career, maybe it may be time to do some value proposition uh, market fit as it pertains to, does this fit within my, in, in my perspective or in my trajectory of where is it that I'm going? If it doesn't fit, that's okay. Find something else. If you're looking at it as it pertains to a potential investment within your portfolio, all these things fit. So again, you know, hopefully you guys were able to grab some solid value. And of course, y'all know me better than that to know that we're just going <laughs> to end it like that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, for example, if we look at, uh, we got to give you some homework because that, that's got to happen. So what I want each and every single one of you to do, if you're going to do, if you're going to actually like try to master and get better at this, here's some homework. And we'll make it simple for you. Choose a publicly traded company and review its financial statements. So meaning review its income statement, balance sheet, and cash flow statement for the most recent fiscal year. So sometimes what you can do is you can actually look at it just from an annual basis. You know, I know that Bar Chart provides it. TradingView now provides it. Um, you can, if you want to, you can go to the to the company um, themselves and look at it. You can also look at uh, Zacks also. They provide it under key company metrics um for the most so just do that for the most recent fiscal year and then analyze the company's financial performance using the key metrics such as revenue profit margin and return on investment then the next thing that i want you to do is i want you to conduct a swot analysis of the company identifying its strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats write a brief simple brief 
a brief report discussing the company's financial performance and the results of your SWOT analysis. Now, if you want to submit it to somebody, submit it within your group. Hopefully you have accountability groups and everything else, or just submit it within the community. Here's a cheat code for you. If you're actually doing this right, then what you have just done, and I'm going to come on, I'm going to come on camera for this one. What you have just done in that period is you literally just put to, you just literally put together your thesis for that company. You literally just conducted a thesis. So when you look at a lot of times when I put together my thesis, that's mm -hmm. literally how you put together a thesis. You look at the financials, you look at the business as it pertains to analyzing the business. Once you've done those things, you kind of tend to know the company's DNA. You can you, you you tend to know the company's fabric. You know, those are the things that help you produce your own thesis so that way you don't have to run off of somebody else. So if somebody's telling you to invest in this company or if somebody's telling you to follow this company or to to look at this company, you're going to know why. And then it's like you're going to even if you have a difference of opinion, at least you know where to stand versus essentially just going off of what somebody else tells you. And ultimately, I think that that's how you become stronger. Yo, thank you all for enjoying tonight's episode. But, you know, honestly, I have officially reached my Cinderella hour and I did better than last week, which was going eight minutes over. I went three minutes over. But I hope that you guys gained value tonight. I really, really do. Did I leave anything off the table, Jolene? Or did we, did we, did we aim for the juggler? Did we get everything there? Yeah, I think everything was there. And they can go okay. back and pawn the replay. All right. Well, again... And to think about it, this is just week two. <laughs> this is just week two. So just so that way you guys know exactly where we're going, we're getting a lot of the basic stuff put you know, out of the way. And then we get to go into the much more refined things. We're going to go through business, but then we're also going to go through things that are industry focused. So I want to get into other areas of industry where we start doing breakdowns of those companies, looking at products, looking at services, looking at all those things. And also looking at things that are new. Like my goal is, I not only do I want to future-proof this channel, but one of the other things that I want to do is I want to make sure that you all have enough exposure. So that way, depending on how is it that you want to navigate, whether investment, whether career, or whatever it is, it's here for you. And we're going to keep this going. So uh, until next time, I'm Mark Monroe. And I'm Jalen GC and the place to be. And this has been Executive Education. We will see you all next week. Thank you.